You're listening to the DNB Supply Show podcast, your number one resource for living the country lifestyle. This is your host, Matt Breckwald, coming to you from my place in the country to yours. Well, hello and welcome back to the DNB Supply Show, everybody. Hey, this is your host, Matt Breckwald, and it is just great to be here with you every single week. Just really enjoy getting to talk with everybody in our community here in Southwest Idaho and Eastern Oregon, all about living this great lifestyle. And along those lines, it is time to garden. A lot of you have probably already started. Some of you are probably like me and not quite started yet. But today we are going to talk all about composting. This is something that I've been interested in for a while, but I've really never got around to doing it. But man, it's a fascinating topic. And actually today I get to speak with David Hopkins, who is a master gardener uh, educated by the University of Idaho Extension Service. And he has got a lot to say about different methods of composting, what to put in your compost pile, what not to, how to make it all work, how to incorporate the compost in the soil. There's just a lot of great information here, and I am excited to bring it to you. We're going to have it to you here in just a moment. David, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thank you for having me, Matt. I I enjoyed uh, sharing our composting information with all of the other people. <laughs> well, good. I think it's a it's a fun thing to do, and it's a really good thing to do for our soil, for our gardens, and, and for the environment and all of that. So I'm really happy to be able to share this with people today, and uh, I understand that, that you're the expert to go to. Well, we have several experts in our extension office that volunteer and do this. So I'm just one of them. We have a lot of different things that we cover, and but mine is mostly for composting, or I specialize in composting. Well, let's do this, David. If you could kind of explain to everybody how you're involved with Extension and, and what you do, how you got to this point, so they can kind of know who they're listening to. Okay, well, uh, to back up a long ways here, 50, 60 years, one of my first jobs was with D&B. I worked mostly with Mr. Derringer. They had in downtown Caldwell there, they had a car wash right there off 10th Street and I think Arthur. And one of my very first paying jobs was working in that car wash, uh, getting the cars in there and pushing the buttons to make the car wash happen. So my history with D&B goes back to their very first stores. Wow. <laughs> uh, that's kind of fun, yeah. And But, but uh, years ago, I retired and uh, uh, kind of got pushed out as jobs went overseas, and I thought, well, if I can garden, I can grow a lot of my own food mm-hmm. and help support myself. And uh, so I got into the Master Gardener program and, and kind of got into the composting a lot and, and doing a lot of the Master Gardener program for, oh gosh, six or eight years now. So explain to us what the Master Gardener program is, and if somebody's interested in that, where do they find it? Okay, it's um, they have one in Caldwell and one in Boise, and it's through the University of Idaho Extension Office. So what it is is you go through a series of classes that are one day a week for, gosh, 12 or 14 weeks. Mm -hmm. Uh, You volunteer a lot of hours, uh, 40 or 50 hours, to help train the public, like what I'm doing right now. Uh And you learn just a ton of stuff. I had no idea there was so much to learn about gardening. (laughs) Got it. Now, had you always been a gardener and you just wanted to enhance your skills or was this something new to you? 
I'd done a little, but not uh, most of it was pretty new to this depth. You know, everybody likes to plant a tomato or pepper, yeah. few things like that. But but uh, yeah, so most of it was pretty new. Well, what a surprise! I had no idea that D and B had a car wash at one point. Let alone that you were coming on and you had previously worked for them. <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, right there where it, it was over the top of Indian Creek. And it actually fell in, it corroded enough of, with all of the moisture and the steel there that it fell into Indian Creek, and they had to stop it and remove it at that time. And that okay. was probably 20, 20 years ago. So, oh, yeah, a goodness. long time. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get to the topic at hand. So, David, what just for everybody out there who's just getting introduced to this right at this moment, what is compost? Okay, compost is pretty much just organic material or matter that's been broken down by microorganisms, and it's probably one of the best things you can have for your garden. Okay, so it's broken down, organic material, and then why would somebody want to use it? You say it's one of the best things for your garden, so explain to somebody how it enhances the garden, helps it out. Okay, it's really good for enriching the soil. It brings in a lot of micro. Uh, nutrients. It'll help hold moisture in, and if we ever have a hot, dry summer, like we <laughs> usually do, it's been pretty wet now, but it helps hold the moisture in our dry soil. It makes our soil more acidic or neutral. Most of the Treasure Valley and Eastern Oregon soil is fairly alkaline, mm-hmm. so this will help make it bring it back to neutral or a little more acidic, and our plants like that a lot more. It improves the soil structure and allows it uh, you to work the soil uh, when it's drier or wetter and earlier in the spring. And like you mentioned at first, it recycles a lot of the resources back into our garden. Mm-hmm. Or um, I look at it, if, if you put stuff out there in the garbage, you're simply throwing away good fertilizer. So this will keep it in the garden, and then it keeps our soils alive with good microorganisms there. The microorganisms they've found feed the plants, the plants feed them, and you get a lot more nutrients into your plants if you have the microorganisms busy down there working on some of that compost. Now, I have read somewhere that it helps it helps with your garden resisting weeds and insect pests. Am I Is that correct, or did I misunderstand what I read? Uh, no, that's pretty well correct. If you lay it on thick, like I do, I put an inch or two on every year, that shades out the weed seeds, and the weeds or the seeds need uh, light to germinate. So it'll shade them out, keep them down, and make it a lot easier to pull out any weeds if you do have some of that. And then what was the second part of that question? Well, how about for insects? Does it have anything beneficial when it comes to insect pests? Uh, yes, it, it helps the beneficial in, insects or the good ones, so it balances the insect life in your garden a little bit more. If your soil doesn't have a lot of compost or organic material in it, mm-hmm. then the harmful insects are more able to dominate. I see. Okay. Very good. All right. That is a great start. Let's take our first break, and when we come back, let's talk about how in the world to get compost into our soils, okay? Okay. Feeding your pet's lifelong health starts with science, and that's exactly what's behind Hill's Science Diet. Made by vets, scientists, and nutritionists, 
Hill Science Diet offers biology-based nutrition for all pets with formulas for every age, size, and special requirement or need, like joint health and weight loss that create differences you can see, feel, and trust. No wonder it's the number one veterinarian-recommended pet food. So pick up Hill Science Diet at D&B Supply today. Say you were to ride off into the sunset. Ideally, what kind of boots and clothes would you be wearing? For horseback riders of all styles, nothing beats the look and performance of Ariat available at DMB Supply. Everyone from famous rodeo cowboys to country music legends to equestrian Olympians. Turn to Ariat with confidence. You can count on them too. Think of Ariat as your ultimate riding companion for the life and times in the West. When you need to better outfit your ride with Ariat, stop by your favorite DMB Supply. All right, David. Well, now that we're back, let's talk about getting compost into the soil. So how do how do most people do that? How do they incorporate it in? Uh, most people will till it in, rototill it, or uh, use a gardening fork to work the soil so it'll go down in. I've switched to what's called a no-till, no-dig method. Mm -hmm. So I just add the compost on the top, and the worms and beneficial insects and stuff will bring it down into the soil, and it'll eventually get back into the soil. And another way to do it, if you have a, a lot of perennials that already have roots and you can't rototill... Uh, you can do a method called post-hole composting where you dig a small hole in your garden and just add it there. And every year you kind of move those holes around so you aren't damaging the roots of the perennials very much, but okay. you're adding the organic material in there. And then as I'm planting my plants out into my garden, I'll dig the hole, mix in a little compost, and then put the plant in with that compost and dirt mixture. Now, that post hole method, that's really interesting. So do the worms and the things in the soil, do they just, instead of moving the compost from top down, they move it laterally if you if you put it in a hole like that? Uh, yes, they do. Yeah. Now, why did you switch to no-till? Why did you want to do that? Well, it's not just that I'm lazy. <laughs> I, I was reading a lot about it, and actually our plants uh, have adapted quite well to Nobody tilling the soil for millions of years. Mm -hmm. uh, if you look at our best soil in the country is either the plains, which were never tilled until uh, man came along and started farming it, or the forest floor, which has never been tilled. Mm -hmm. And that's some of the best soil. And it takes a while to get your soil you know, really good with the no-till method, but it, it works really good. So what I recommend is if you are starting a new garden in our Treasure Valley soils or Eastern Oregon soils, till some in, put four or five inches of compost on the top of the soil and till it in, and that gets it down there and kind of gets things to jump started. Mm -hmm. uh, but then after that, you don't want to till because it damages some of the microorganisms, the fungus and stuff that feed the plants and mm -hmm. damages them. And so the no-till method does work really good for me. Now, if you are doing that and you're spreading it on the surface, what depth should you spread it at? One to two inches every year. I always do this, so I'll just I'll be the uh, guinea pig here. I always think more is better, deeper is better, you know, all of that. So can can you get it too deep? I'm assuming you probably can. <laughs> they don't recommend getting it too deep. And another thing I should point out there, too, is you don't want it to have it the compost right around the stems of your plants uh, because that can cause the 
uh, stem to rot right there. Okay. So keep it a little bit away, a couple inches away from the stems of the plant. Uh, but they recommend uh, one to two inches deep. So then if you're trying, if you've spread it out and you're using the no-till method, but you're planting into that compost, then what do you do to keep it away from the stem? I dig the hole down, mix in some compost with the dirt, uh, put the plant in there, and then as you add the compost on top, just kind of brush it back away with your fingers or something a little ways away, a couple of inches away from the okay. stem of the plant. Now, when you're, when you're talking about the no-till method, do some people refer to this as top dressing? As far as uh, top dressing, that can be done on a lawn or in the garden. And, yeah, it's for when you just spread the compost on top of the surface rather mm-hmm. than dig it in. So then along the lines of what we're talking about, because I, I, I had this very question for our lawn, but also for our pasture with larger areas where we've been kind of composting manure and things like that, spreading it on. I always wondered how that works. So it's the beneficial worms, microorganisms, bugs that are taking it down. They're moving it from the surface down into the soil. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Really interesting. I always wondered how that happened, but it, it makes a lot of sense to think about those those bugs that live underground. They're coming up and taking it back down with them. Yes, yes, they they do a lot of work for us, and so and they really like having the compost there as a food source. Uh-huh. So you will get a lot bigger volume of worms or worm worms living in your garden. That as they dig in there, they aerate the soil. They uh, leave some worm droppings around, which is really good material, mm-hmm. and so they really help. So the compost actually is a good way of helping the beneficial microorganisms in our soil and so the compost is indirectly and directly helps the plants quite a lot well you know it's interesting uh we've got our farm out here in cuna and we grow hay and we grow pasture and and that's the extent of what we grow except for a small garden and uh, this last year where we've been bedding our cattle you know we bed them in straw and then of course they're uh, defecating there's manure in the straw there's there's urine and it gets all turned over. Then we bet them again. Then we bet them again. And then by late summer, it creates this, what appears to me to be just wonderful soil. So last year I took it out and did an experiment on our pasture and I spread it over a section. And then the spring coming back, I could really see a difference because that was kind of a poor section of our pasture. So uh, I don't know if results that quick are normal, but I definitely see a difference, which was really cool. Yeah, yeah, that's a real big movement now with the the no-till, no-dig. There's a guy, Gabe Brown, that does that, and they uh, paddock the cattle, so they move them around every once in a while, and they put out several different cover crops. Uh, They allow the cattle to eat down maybe a third of the crop, and then they move them to another thing. And, of course, they're leaving their manure there, and then they bring in chickens after that. They have fences that move, and they bring in chickens after that. And the chickens eat all the bugs that are in the manure and scratch it all around and scratch it in. And really kind of a neat method if yeah. you ever get a chance to research that. Well, let's take our second break. I can already tell that I'm going to go long with you because there's a lot to talk about here. But we'll take another commercial okay. break and be right back. Okay, thank you. Carhartt makes gear to get you through anything. So DMB Supply offers a wide selection to outfit any day, any task, and any weather. Built to stand the test of time and have your back no matter what comes your way. Carhartt clothing keeps you comfortable all day long. 
And for extra hard jobs, check out Carhartt Force, the line that wicks sweat, fights odors, releases stains, and works as hard as you do to outlast them all. Get decked out in Carhartt at DNB. The chicken or the egg? DNB knows what comes first. It's Neutrina Nature Wise Layer Chicken Feed which leads to both a healthier chicken and fresh, hard-shelled eggs. With over 90 years of experience raising healthy poultry, Neutrina NatureWise gives your hens wholesome, natural nutrition they can sink their beaks into. Free-range and home-raised flocks gobble this expertly designed and formulated layer feed in pellets and crumbles. So flock to your favorite D&B supply to pick up a bag of Neutrina NatureWise layer chicken feed for balanced nutrition. Well, David, now that we're back, can you help us to clarify the difference between fertilizer and compost? Okay, compost is um, mostly just broken down organic matter, and fertilizer is usually uh, nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium, and it can come in an organic form or a chemical form. Mm -hmm. Um, Neither one of them are bad. A lot of people prefer just the organic form. Uh, But the compost brings in a lot of micronutrients, but a lot of times you will still need to add nitrogen to the soil. So what we recommend on that is get a soil test, which you can do through the Extension Office, University of Idaho Extension Office, Mm -hmm. or there's a Western Labs in Parma that does it, and they will tell you what you need in your soil. And so what we recommend is, um, well, all of the soil in the Treasure Valley in eastern Oregon is pretty low in organic material. So the compost, adding that always helps. But as far as fertilizer, we recommend getting a soil test and then finding out if you really need potassium or you almost always need nitrogen here in Idaho and mm-hmm. eastern Oregon. Okay. Um, so, yeah, the, the difference in one was just broken down organic material that doesn't have a lot of nitrogen in it, and the other fertilizers come in different forms, and they may be needed in your garden but or, or your pasture lawns, but you need to have a soil sample test done uh, to determine what you need for the fertilizer. Well, David, how can people source compost? If they want to start using this in their garden and they're going to go out and buy it, then... How can they source it? Do they need like a big pickup load or how does that all work? Um, No, actually you can buy it in um, uh, one to two cubic feet bags. They have some really good ones there at D&B. They have the stir manure. I've used it before and it's real good. And they also have black gold, which is also very good. Uh, The Mountain Magic makes the stir manure, compost and stir manure. Mm -hmm. And then in the Caldwell, Meridian, and Nampa stores, they sell it in bulk, which with that you would want a a pickup, and they load it in with a front-end loader. And uh, that's a much more cost-effective way of buying it. But if you have a small garden or something, uh, those just bags of them, easy to carry, throw them in the trunk of your car, and those work really good. Now, I know there are a lot of people who like to make their own compost. So why would somebody choose to do that over, say, purchasing it? Uh, if you make your own, you know exactly what went into it. If you want to be organic or really uh, careful on what goes into your own garden, your own uh, garden beds, your lawn or something, uh, you can make your own and choose the material that goes in there. And I guess in that in that sense as well, if you have food waste or something like that in your house, it doesn't necessarily have to go in the trash can. It can go into the compost pile. 
Oh, yes, yes. That's uh, throwing in the trash cans like throwing away fertile, uh, free <laughs> right. fertilizer or free nutrients to your garden. So, yeah, we recommend doing it yourself, composting yourself if you can. Uh, some HOAs don't allow composting in their backyards, uh, but you can get around that with that post-hole composting where you dig a hole and put the fresh material in it, uh, oh. the browns and greens, okay. and then cover the hole up. Or trench composting is just kind of a long trench of the same thing. You just keep digging a trench and filling it in with that material that you have, covering okay. it up, and your neighbor, the HOA will never know. <laughs> um, but, yeah, here, here in Boise, they have that composting bins now, and you can get it. And I've tried it. I had to try it because of um, teaching all of the compost. I wanted to see what it was. Uh-huh. And it's really pretty good stuff. I was impressed. They have quite an operation out there. But then big trucks have to run down your neighborhood, pick it up, take it out there. Big machinery turns it. They bring it back here in a big truck, and then you have to go down and pick it up and shovel it into your pickup. Where if you make it in your backyard, it's much more energy efficient, and yeah. and, and uh, you know exactly what went into it. Interesting. Well, along those lines of what's going into it, you know, I could ask you what we should put into compost, but I bet that is a very long list. Let me start by asking you what we should not put into compost. Okay, things to not put in are weed seeds and weed roots that are uh, like the uh, the ones that, the weeds that spread by the root, like field bindweed and quack grass mm-hmm. spread by the little white roots. And if you put them in there, they quite often survive and they'll come back with a vengeance. So weed seeds, weed roots, wood ash. One of the things that you hear once in a while is put wood ash out in your garden. Well, wood ash is very alkaline, and it will make our alkaline soils more alkaline. So here in an alkaline area or desert area, we don't recommend wood ash. If you're on the Oregon coast or east of the Mississippi, where they're pretty acidic soil, it'll bring it back to neutral, so it's good to use there. And then we don't recommend any fatty foods, meats, or bones. They can bring in rodents, um, mm-hmm. different things, anything from badgers to, to skunks to, to rats or things. And you don't want to put any in any diseased plants because the pathogens and the diseases can uh, be spread when you spread the thing. Also, it's important, uh, a lot of the bugs that lay eggs, like squash bugs and leaf miners, will lay on the bottom side of the leaf. So as you're adding some of that material from your garden to the compost pile, turn the leaf over and look for um, those bugs. And if you do find any eggs or bugs on the underside of your leaves, we just say throw those away, you know, and and, uh, uh, not get them back into your garden. Mm -hmm. You don't want to use any uh, material that's been sprayed with herbicides or insecticides. Um, they say if you spray your lawn, wait uh, two to three mowings before you use that grass in your compost. Okay. And then uh, you don't want to put any dog or cat waste. That's a fairly common uh, question. Uh, the cat waste can have a uh, some toxins in there that are uh, harmful to babies and uh, unborn babies. And then if you have a lot of walnut leaves, they have a compound in there called juglone, and they will keep things from germinating or growing. So if you have a lot of walnut leaves, don't use those. 
And then probably the last thing is the shiny papers um, that come in the ads, yeah. uh, like your newspaper. You sometimes get a shiny advertisement. Those can have toxins and uh, heavy metals in them, so we don't recommend the shiny paper. Very good. Well, that's an exhaustive list, but I think that it's good to know that there are certain things that won't be beneficial if we put them in. Yeah, yeah. Some of the good things, too, some of the questions that come up is uh, newspaper. All of our newspaper in the Treasure Valley is printed there in Nampa, and it's printed with a vegetable-based ink. So it's good to use, um, but but not the shiny ads. They come from out of state or someplace else. Got it. So the newsprint is really good. It's a high-carbon material, mm-hmm. and so it's really good to add. Um, of course, fruit and vegetable scraps are real good. Uh, your yard and grass clippings, uh, leaves and straw, sawdust and wood chips are good. Uh, shredded paper is also uh, good. Uh, most all the material that you put on in, you want to shred really good. Uh, it'll help it break down quicker. All right. Well, let's take another commercial break. And then when we come back, let's talk about the process. For somebody who's never done it, we'll talk about how they can get started, okay? Okay. Sounds good. A well-worn pair of Danner boots has become a hallmark of hardworking and hard-playing people in the West. And everywhere else, for that matter. Find your next pair of long-lasting, great-looking Danner boots at D&B Supply. Hold a Danner boot in your hand, and you'll notice the handcrafted precision. Try it on, and you'll feel the difference. Test it against the elements, and you'll appreciate the value of a product that's built to last. From classic hiking boots to handcrafted work boots to fashion-forward looks that fit your daily life, stop on by D&B Supply to try Danner boots on for size. You wear jeans, but you live in Levi's. At D&B Supply, we've got a pair to fit you just right. Iconic and hardworking. Levi's are legendary. Worn by cowboys, rock stars, and everyday people, we carry different washes, styles, and sizes for both men and women. These jeans are ready for anything your day brings, from working outside to a night on the town. The denim legacy lives on every time you put them on. So pick up some Levi's at D&B. Well, David, now that we're back, let's talk about the process. So, you know, we've kind of piqued people's interest in doing this and, and wanting to try it. If they want to get started, say, in their backyard, how should they begin? Okay, well, there's several ways to do it. One of the things, pick a location. Here, it gets so hot in the summer that uh, if you have a little shady area, that, that can help it a little bit from drying out too fast. Mm-hmm. There's different types of bins that you can use, whether it's a wire circular bin or rotating barrel, which I saw B&B sells their um, suncast tumbling composter. And sometimes that looks a lot better than just an open bin or a three bin or a wire bin system. And the way it works is you uh, put your material in there. And then you turn it every other day or so, and that mixes the material up and gets air into the system. Okay. So location is good. You need to be close to water because you're going to have to water it a little bit. Pick the type of bin that you want. There's several different bins. Our favorites, everybody that was in the composting class, really liked the wire bin, which is just 10 foot of of hardware cloth uh, made into a circle. Uh, three foot high, and that'd be about three foot uh, diameter. And you put your material in there, you hook it together with a couple of boards and latch hooks on uh, screwed into the boards. And uh, when you want to uh, move it or 
you turn it, one of the things you have to do is turn the, that thing. You undo the hooks, set the wire bin beside where your pile is, and then shovel it back in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so pick a location, pick a type of bin that you want. A lot of people like the three-bin systems made out of cinder blocks, pallets, but, but those can take a little more room. Uh, you can do the trench or pit composting, like we mentioned. Mm-hmm. Or the, there's a method called sheet composting, which was made popular with that lasagna gardening book. And so you want to pick a location, pick your type of bin that you're going to do, uh, mix the materials. The easy method that we like to tell people is 50% greens, 50% browns. And mix those together. Uh, actually, as you're building it first time, you layer them an inch or two thick. Mm-hmm. Uh, the browns would be like wood material that's dried or dried leaves. The greens would be grass clippings, anything that's green and moist. And coffee grounds fall into the green category, too. They're really good because they're pretty acidic and they bring our soil back more to uh, neutral base. Okay. So you add those in layers, adding water. So three or four things that the compost pile needs is uh, browns or carbons, uh, nitrogen or greens, then water and air. And so you're going to wet it down as you build the pile to the consistency of a wrung out sponge uh, is what we like to use. So if you grab some and you squeeze it and water runs out, that's too wet. And if if it doesn't feel damp like a wrung out sponge, that's too dry. Okay. And so, so then to add the air, it gets the air when you're first building it. But uh, to keep air going in there, you'll turn it. So every week you'll turn it a couple of times uh, by removing that wire bin around it or just tumbling it the easy way that with your tumbling composter that you sell. Mm-hmm. And so you want to turn that a couple of times a week to get it done quickest. You don't have to turn it. You can have a static bin, but that'll take a year to two years for everything to break down completely in a static bin. Okay. So let me ask you, if you don't have a mechanical device that just allows you to turn it over like that and you've got a fixed bin, then how do you go about turning it? Do you you shovel everything out and shovel it back in? I mean, how does that work? Yeah. So if you have a three-bin system or two bins, you can shovel from one to the other or if you have one of those, like I use the wire bin, uh, you unhook it, you move the wire to, and hook the wire back together right beside the pile, and then you shovel the old pile back into the bin again. And so any way you do it, you, if you're using the uh, ones where it's a plastic bin or commercial bin, mm-hmm. um, they sell some tools that you can reach in there like it's a great big screw or auger that you reach down in there and and then lift it up and that'll kind of mix it up and get air back into the pile too one more commercial break and in our last segment let's talk more about this process i want to know about the the air requirement okay Okay. You already know Honda makes some of the most reliable, fuel-efficient cars on the planet. And that's just as true for Honda lawnmowers. The best thing about a Honda mower is it's a Honda. 
which means exclusive features like a 4-in-1 twin blade cutting system that results in finer clippings for either bagging or when mulching, actually feeding your lawn for important nutrients. And it also means a highly fuel-efficient engine that's easier on the environment while you're sprucing up your environment. Plus, depending on the model, Honda residential mowers come with either a 3- or 5-year limited warranty. Shop Honda at select DMV supply stores in eastern Oregon and southern Idaho. Tired of choosing between feeding your lawn for a thick green turf and fighting annoying weeds? DNB Supply is here to help you do both with Scott's Turf Builder Weed and Feed. Sometimes feeding your lawn also means feeding unwanted weeds that have taken root. That's why Scott's developed Turf Builder Weed and Feed, which uses a weed killer while also feeding your lawn to crowd out the weeds. So get to the root of your lawn issues with Scott's Turf Builder Weed and Feed at your favorite DNB Supply. All right, David. Well, this has been great, and I've got a million more questions for you, so I better get to it because we are going to run out of time. So you mentioned putting air back in. So for compost to effectively work or to effectively break down, does it require an aerobic or an anaerobic environment? An aerobic environment. So that's why turning is important. Um, It'll keep it from smelling bad. If you go anaerobic, it'll develop some bad smells like a rotten egg smell, the sulfur and everything in there. And so you want to keep turning it and that will uh, get the air back into it and make it aerobic. Now, I know there's a lot of heat generated when this is going on. Can piles of compost, is your composting, can they ever combust? Uh, Yes, they can. Uh, This is it's pretty rare to happen, but what happens is the yeasts that are in there will create alcohol, and normally a home bin will only get 140 to 150 degrees, but at about 165, the alcohol created by some of the composting uh, can uh, spontaneously combust and catch fire, so one of the locations things to remember is don't put it right next to your house <laughs> okay but but pr- pretty small chance of of a home compost catching fire well i know that there are there's a couple other methods of doing this uh, there's vermicompost and there's compost tea let's start with vermicompost but can you explain that to our listeners yeah vermicomposting is really popular in europe and what it is is you have a bin something like an old, uh, the storage bins, the blue storage bins or something, Mm -hmm. and you fill it full of shredded papers that you dampen, uh, and so they should be as wet as a wrung-out sponge sponge again. Mm -hmm. You add some material in there. Usually people use food scraps, vegetable and and fruit uh, food scraps, and they add in there, and then you have to get some uh, red wiggler worms, these are special just for composting, sometimes called manure worms, mm-hmm. uh, not the regular garden, you know, earthworms. Okay. Uh, but, but those will eat everything you put in there, and it's real popular in Europe, not popular in my house. <laughs> <laughs> my significant other says, you can't have worms in the house. And I said, well, I can't put them out in the garage because they'll freeze. <laughs> They didn't last long, but uh, I tried it, and it was really, really good. It's really high in nutrient value, and so so what you do is you put in the worms, the fruit, uh, shredded paper that's moistened, and the worms eat the shred, er, the, the 
newspaper, the shredded paper, mm-hmm. the fruit and the vegetable scraps, and then you use their castings or their poo, and it's really high in nutrition, nutrient value, and it really does wonders. It's kind of hard to get a lot of it, but a lot of people do this and uh, have a bin under their kitchen or different things, and it's really, really good stuff. It's like regular compost on steroids. Well, that's interesting. If you're using worms to do that, then do they take care of the aeration for you? Yeah. With the bin that you make, there's a lot of things online that tell about it. Uh, the bins have a lot of holes in them, so they get aeration from the holes in the bin there. And also want to point out this is really good thing to do if you live in an apartment or a place where you can't compost outside, save your vegetable scraps fruit scraps and put them in that bin and it works really good for a small family or a small house that doesn't have a big place to compost outside. Okay, that is awesome. Let's talk about compost tea. I've I've learned about this a little bit before. It's kind of fascinating. Okay, yeah. Compost tea is simply a solution where the way I do it is I take five gallons of water and since my water has chlorine, I let it set overnight so the chlorine all gets released. Okay. So you want five gallons of unchlorinated water, and then you add one and a half to two pounds of good finished compost in a tea bag. So you make a tea bag out of like a cheesecloth or something, Okay. and you put the, the one and a half to two pounds of good finished compost in that, and they have all the microorganisms in them. So you put that in there. Most people add two tablespoons of non-sulfur molasses. Want to make sure it's the non-sulfur ones. And then I like to add a teaspoon of fish emulsions and a teaspoon of liquid kelp fertilizer. And then you put all of that in the bucket. Uh, You swish it around a little bit, and you want to have it aerated. So you use an air stone and an air pump like what they use in aquariums. Mm -hmm. And you put that in there and let that pump run for... 48 hours, usually. And what this does is the microorganisms, the good beneficial microorganisms that are in the compost, multiply quite a bit with eating the fertilizers and the uh, molasses in there. And so then, uh, after that's done, take the compost bag out, put that on your soil, but you can put it in uh, the water in your, or the tea in your watering bucket and water plants with it and water around there. And it kind of gives a a kickstart for the microorganisms in the soil to really get multiplied or or a a good bunch of them in the soil. That is really interesting. And then are you, you're pouring the tea, the water into the area that you want to enhance? Yes. Yeah. There's been actually with our research through the extension offices around the country, there's been kind of mixed results. And so we can't completely recommend it, but a lot of people swear by it, and a lot of people say, oh, it didn't really do much. <laughs> okay. So, so, yeah, and there was one of the studies that I really liked that it stopped some of the uh, powdery mildew that was on some of the leaves, that the microbes in there outcompeted the powdery mildew, and some of the scientific studies actually showed uh, that it helped with powdery mildew. 
Well, this is fascinating, yeah. David, and I see why I see why we're talking so long. You could go on and on. You've got a ton of information about composting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One of the things, real quick, on that um, compost tea that we want to caution people on is you don't uh, put it on the vegetables that you're going to eat raw, uh, like any lettuce or anything, tomatoes or peppers that you're going to pick, because it can have E. coli in it, and so you don't want that on there. It'll possibly make you ill. Okay, well, that's that's good to know. We don't want that to happen. David, this has been fascinating, and you are a wealth of information. I really do appreciate you coming on and sharing this with us. Uh, if people want more information, where should they go? Uh, University of Idaho Extension Office. Uh, they have classes there once in a while, and they actually have one that's uh, four or five weeks, uh, one day a week. Um, and you can become a master composter. <laughs> that sounds silly, but, but uh, it's really a good program. You learn a lot of it. You do some hands-on mm-hmm. uh, work right there. And once in a while, they will have a uh, vermicomposting uh, where they show you how to build a bin and show you how to put it together and you know add all of the stuff there. And uh, that's done, I believe, in Caldwell, Ada County, and Canyon County um, Extension offices. So, yeah, lots of stuff online. Any of the books, there's several books out there, my favorites, the Rodale Book of Composting. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're really good. But, yeah, the Extension office is uh, really probably the best source. Very good. And for our listeners who are in Oregon, I'm assuming they probably have the same exact thing they can access through their Extension service. Yeah, I I know they have a Malheur Extension office there, too. I don't know if they have the composting classes there, uh, but they do have information. They have brochures that you can pick up there and stuff, information about the composting. Well, David, thank you so much for coming on today and educating us about this. And thank you. I always enjoy D&B. One of the other things I wanted to mention, too, I was just down there the other day um, because I have a lot of leaves. I get dried leaves from my neighbor's. Uh, save them over the winter and then start to compost in the uh, spring and I didn't have enough green material so that stand lee uh, alfalfa pellets meant for horse feed mm-hmm. is a really good high nitrogen source of the green material so I add that to my leaves wet them down and it does wonders really interesting okay we'll have to make sure we get that in in the podcast version of the show so people know that tip that's really neat yeah, and oh. uh, good plug for you guys. But, yeah, if you don't have enough uh, green material, uh, you have a lot of leaves, dried leaves or something, that's a really good source to get some good green material that will really turn the compost pile on. All right. Thank you again, David. Uh-huh, thank you. Thank you all for joining us today, and here is to you and your pursuit of the country lifestyle, however you define it. For the DNB Show, I'm Matt Breckwald. <laughs>